this evening let's turn to the gospel of uh, the epistle of paul according to romans chapter 3 epistle of paul according to romans chapter 3 21 to 26 21 to 26 but now the righteousness of god apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The Lord add his blessing in the reading of this passage. This evening <clears throat> I'd like to talk about the righteousness of God. Four aspects of God's righteousness. The Bible clearly speaks about the various character of God. It is the character of God that will enable us to attract towards him. It is the character of God that we need to have a serious Bible study. It is the character of God that the generation need to study. It is the character of God that will keep us during trying times when we are tested in faith. It is nothing else that will keep us. It is what we believe and it is nothing else but upon whom we have believed and upon what character that he is and one of the character is his righteousness. And this evening I would like just to go to the doctrinal aspect of it and at the end i would uh, have the practical application because every doctrine has a practical application let's turn to deuteronomy chapter 32 deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 he is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of truth and without injustice righteous and upright is he righteous and upright is he that is a classic representation by moses when he describes the character of god he says he is he is a rock his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of truth and without injustice righteous and upright is he what does it mean to be righteous it means that he is just god it means that he is upright it means that he is holy it means that he is worthy to be trusted and paul brings out that whole demonstration which is unparalleled in the epistle of romans and when he writes this chapter he brings out that aspect of righteousness and he draws our attention to the righteousness of the lord jesus christ throughout the epistle of romans bringing the whole uh, theme from the old testament as israelites they 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 see this yahweh god in his righteous character because he is rock 
is perfect, his work is just, he is righteous, and he is upright. Amen. He is worthy to be trusted. And Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17 and verse 25, he calls his father, O righteous father. God is righteous in his character. In him there is no wrong. Everything in his character, in his being, he is right. Number one. Number two. The righteousness of God is centered in himself. That means the source of righteousness is not from an external source. It is in the intrinsic character of God himself. And the Greek word for the righteousness is dikaiosune. Dikaiosune means the righteousness of which God is the author. This is beautiful. The righteousness of, his, of which God is the author means his righteousness and his self-existence, his character is intrinsic. It is in his self-being. It does not have an outside character. That is why we trust this God who said, I am that I am. That's what Moses asked when he said, what is your name? What should I say when they asked me, what is my name? What is your name? God said to him, I am that I am. That means his righteousness is centered in himself. It does not have an external source. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 17. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. This is beautiful. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That means my faith and your faith has a correlation with the righteousness of God. With the character of God. Because you and I have been justified by faith because of righteousness. And what is justification? Justification is nothing but imputation of God's righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Justification is imputation of Christ's righteousness unto us. And hence if justification is imputation of righteousness of Christ into us, that means justification is more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is cancellation of debt, of condemnation. But justification is more, more than just forgiveness, it is imputation. And that is why here, faith, faith has a correlation with righteousness. That means my faith is upon the character of God. Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, the one who was a worrying prophet in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, worrying prophet, questioning prophet, wandering prophet, he, quest, he, he, he questions God. How dare he could do that? I, I really don't know. We can ask questions to God, but we can't question God. There is a difference between these two, right? We can ask a question God to God, but we can't question God. Our children have the right to ask questions. But the problem is they don't have the maturity to understand the answer to the question. Example. Your son will ask, how does an aeroplane fly in the air without any support? He may be 10 year old, 12 year old, no problem. He has the right to ask the question to the father. 
The father knows the answer with all the technical answer, the law of gravity, law of thermodynamics, law of aerospace, and he knows the answer. And if he answers the question of his son in a technical, mechanical, aeronautical language, does the child have the maturity to understand the answer? No. The child has the right to answer question the father, but the child does not have the maturity to understand the answer. And that is why some of, some of, most of the time, our questions are not also answered by God. You know why? Habakkuk. He had the right to question God. But he did not have the maturity to understand God's answer. We also have the right to question God. But God says, do you have the maturity to understand my answer? What was his question? His question was, how can Chaldeans or the Babylonians be raised against the nation of Judah to punish them? Logic. In his logic he was right. In his reason he was right. Why? Because Babylonians were more wicked than the nation of Judah. And he says, God, are you okay? Are you in your right senses? Come on, Judah is not that wicked that Babylonians. God says, yes. You're right, Habakkuk. How come you're raising Chaldeans, all the Babylonians, to punish your chosen Judah? God says, Habakkuk, you don't have the maturity to understand my answer. You can question me. It's an interesting thing. And he, and he asked, how long will you, how will, how long will I cry for injustice? How long will I cry violence? How long I will cry that law is not working in the land? Chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. But Habakkuk understood one thing. When he comes to verse 12, he latches on to the character of God. What did he say in chapter 1, verse 12 of Habakkuk? Are you not from everlasting? Oh. Are you not the eternal one? Are you not the rock? He got it. He stopped using his logic. He stopped using his reasoning. And he says, it's of no use questioning God. It is always better to trust him. That is why he goes to chapter 2 and verse 4. What did he say? The just shall live by his faith. The great statement by which Martin Luther was saved. And you know what Paul does? He brings that theme from Habakkuk to chapter 1 of Romans. This one, 17, the just shall live by faith. To Galatians, just shall live by his faith. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38, just shall live by his faith. Why? Because of the character of God. But today what has happened? We have raised a generation that questions God. We have raised a generation that questions God. A generation that uses more logic and reasoning than determines Christian life by the principle of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. No one, we can only please God by, the one who comes to God must have, what? Faith. Faith. Warren Worsby often preaches like this and he says, Bible does not prove the existence of God. Listen to this, it's, it's really good. Bible does not have to prove the existence of God. Bible starts with the assumption of God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Does Bible have to prove the existence of God? No. Bible starts with the assumption of God. I'm drawing your attention to the character. 
will draw my life? What will attract my life to God? It is not only the blessings. It's his character. And here we have made a mistake. It is here the postmodern church, the postmodern Christianity has made a mistake. And the postmodern Christianity, where it has made a mistake, they have only seen God as a medium of blessing and not an end in itself to know his character. Am I right? D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, when he used to preach, you know, in Bristol, he used to preach. I, I like this. You know what he said? He said, when we preach about God or the gospel or the lead Jesus Christ, we need to preach the entire thing. What is that? Just not the escape from hell to heaven. No. Dear Moody, when he used to preach, he used to preach about God. He used to preach about depravity of man. He used to preach about sin. He used to preach about cross. He used to preach about the work of Christ. He used to preach about the resurrection. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to discipleship. He will say, if anybody wants to come to Christ, let him carry the cross and follow me. He used to say like this, if anybody will come to Christ, he will not, he will lose his life. Even he used to preach sometimes martyrdom. That was Moody's preaching. What is postmodern preaching? Come to Christ. Back in India, some of the preachers, they preach, come to Christ, your buffalo will give 20 liters of milk. Have you heard this? Back in India, some of the postmodern preachers, come to Christ, you, your children will get married. It is not that gospel. Knowing God means knowing God, His character, meaningfully, purposefully, of course not perfectly. We can never know. And Paul draws that theme here. The righteousness of God. Number one. Righteousness of God. God is righteous. And in his righteous. He sees mankind condemned. He sees mankind condemned. It is impossible for him. To deviate from his righteousness. He is infinitely righteous. In his own being and ways. And sister, my dear brother, he has been righteous from eternity to eternity, upright even dealing with you. We might think God went wrong some way in our reason and logic. But God is upright. He can never deviate from his righteous character. It is better the generation understands this character of God. He is worthy to be trusted. His righteousness is worthy to be trusted. Now what is the, what is the, what is the aspect, the other aspect? God is incapable of forgiving sin in leniency. In his righteous character, he does not see sin leniently. He cannot see sin in any leniency. He has to see sin as sin because of his righteous character. Okay, if that is the case, if God cannot see sin in any leniency, then how he is a God of love? That is a question. If he wants to punish sin, how do we say the other character of God, that God is love? 
Yes. He will maintain his character of love. He will also maintain his righteous character. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Wherein he brings out the doctrine of substitution. And and in the form of his only begotten son Jesus Christ. Where he substitutes his sin. uh, His son. On the cross for the sinful mankind. As a sin offering. Wherein his righteous character is untarnished. Listen to this. His righteous character is untarnished and his loving character is also expressed and his judgment is also shown on the cross of Christ where he punished sin. Amen. That is gospel. He kept his character intact. He kept his judgment intact. He kept his love intact. He did not alter any of his character and still bring out a solution for all of us of redemption. That is his character. Amazing. This is beautiful. First thing, God is righteous. Second thing, self-righteousness of man. Now here, uh, the postmodern philosophers come into picture. You take Aristotle, you take Socrates, um, you take a radical atheist, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins. You know, these philosophers, philosophers they come into picture now. You, uh, Richard Dawkins at the, at the higher level, Aristotle and Socrates as well. Now, what do these people teach actually? When when Bible says man is condemned because of sin, when Christ says that man is is, is a sinner... What do these philosophers, they teach? Listen to this. Charles, uh, Richard Dawkins, you know, he says that man is not a sinner originally because, because humanism and socialism, even Karl Marx, humanism and socialism does not accept that man is a sinner. What does humanism teach? What, what did Socrates and Aristotle teach? Man is a good being intrinsically. Man cannot be sinner. Man is a good being intrinsically. He is a victim of circumstances and that is why he commits sin. That's what Richard Dawkins says, the, the, the radical atheist. And it is here that these philosophers have led people astray where they convince the world what Bible is saying is utter nonsense. Romans chapter 3 verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now this is the depravity of man the Bible preaches and we teach, which humanism and socialism will not accept it. And that is why Aisha, let's take Aisha now, 64 verse 6, where we see the, the depravity prophet Prophet Wahab uh, uh, there brings out unparalleled description of the depravity of man. Aisha chapter 64 verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. This is beautiful. And all our righteousness, now that word has come there, all our righteousness, man's righteousness, are like filthy rags. Now this is not what Aristotle teaches or Socrates teaches or humanistic philosophy teaches. The humanistic philosophy teaches that man is a good being and man has the capacity to, to bring out uh, bring out righteousness equivalent to God's character. Utter nonsense that is. The Bible says it is 
Like filthy rags, it does not end there. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Beautiful. Now this is where the, the Eastern philosophy comes into picture. Now what does Eastern philosophy comes into uh, teach us? Like a nation like India, Hinduism. Hinduism teaches good works, even Islam. I was talking to the Muslim scholars in Toronto, Canada. I said, sir, what are you speaking? Do you think that, you know, Islam teaches that and good works will lead them to paradise? That is what the teaching of Hinduism is all about. I questioned them. Okay, fine. I accept your logic for a moment. Can you tell me, please, how, what is the parameter and the quantity of good works that you are going to do? You know what Islam teaches? A Muslim, when he offers prayer, not even an ant should die when he bows on the floor. Have you heard this? Not even an ant should die when he bows on the floor. Good works. If that is the case, this world would have been a good place if good works the theology of good works was working. It's not working. Man cannot do good works. He wants to do. But because of his original sin that he is deprived of, the production of good works does not come out. And Paul says, that's why all have sinned. It is the sinful disposition of man that makes him sinner. The sinful disposition. <clears throat> Back in India, people don't like now to be called as sinners. I still remember at the age of 16, one six, I started preaching, my dear brothers and sisters, on the streets of India. At the age of 16, I started preaching. Street preaching, market preaching, highway preaching, all kinds of preaching I started at the age of 16. At the age of 16, I still remember on the streets of India, on my highest voice, telling, man is a sinner. I was remembering those days recently. Today I can't say that. At the age of 16, I could say that to the nation of India. Man is a sinner and nobody touched me. Nobody hit me. But today, they don't want to listen. Because reality is bitter. Truth is bitter. And Jesus Christ always spoke truth because he was the truth. First is God is righteous. I don't have time to expound on it. It's a beautiful theme to be expounded. Second is self-righteousness of man. He, his good works are like filthy rags. Man has made legitimate standards for family, society and for state. No hope for any individual outside the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. With all the political institutions at its place, including United Nations, with all its legitimacy, with all its authority, with all its uh, political uh, cleavage, I have one question to all these institutions. What could they do to bring the morality into man's life? With all these standards, nothing, nothing. It is only man when he turns to the righteousness of Christ that he will have a right standing. Amen. He will have a right standing.
my dear brothers and sisters this evening my heart is bubbling with joy with this doctrine of the righteousness of god you know gospel is so beautiful gospel is so powerful and gospel brings out this character so beautifully that makes us more humble gospel should make us more humble number 3 and then i stop for 5 minutes the imputed righteousness of god let's read romans chapter 3 verse 22 now even the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ to all and on all who believe oh even the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ to all and on all who believe now this is the principle upon which god condemns a sinner and principle upon which god saves a sinner it is on the basis of the righteousness of god that god pronounces a sinner as a sinner number 2 it is on the basis of the righteousness of god that god pronounces a sinner as a saint it is on that standard and that's why paul says here even the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ to all and on all he could have stopped there to all but he goes on writing and on all who believe there comes god's sovereignty and man's responsibility all who believe it is a man's responsibility god has given him the free will so the imputed righteousness so we have to understand now imputed sin we are by inheritance sinners and by imputation sinners now this is getting more deep now listen this carefully we are sinners by inheritance that means from adam adam through the generations we are we have inherited sin from adam adam that means we are sinners by inheritance so here comes now socrates now what does socrates say how come for the sin of adam i am guilty did you get that adam sinned it's not me who sinned so why are you 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 putting me in that position it is his fault not my fault inherently we are sinners number 2 by imputation also we are sinners that means adam sin is directly imputed upon me for all have sinned so by inheritance i am a sinner by imputation i am sinner what does god do he keeps his righteous character intact he keeps his judgment intact he keeps his love intact he keeps his character intact he makes a provision and what is that the imputation of righteousness through jesus christ you know what he does he takes christ on one hand he takes me as a sinner on one hand listen to this carefully now this is a graphic representation i'm telling you he takes christ in one hand he takes me on one hand and fuses on the cross he takes sin from my hand and he gives his righteousness from the other hand and makes me stand before the father as a holy son he fuses that on the cross and there is a great explosion because christ takes with one hand my sin 
with other hand he gives his imputation righteousness and on the cross he takes it second corinthians 5:21 the one who knew no sin he was he was made sin that is his fusion wow he takes god takes christ on one hand he takes me on one hand and he takes my faith and the righteousness of his character fuses on the cross and there there is a big explosion light dawns in my heart second corinthians 4:6 that the glory and the wisdom and the knowledge may shine from the face of the lord jesus christ amen amazing this is gospel what did adam do what did adam do in the garden of eden he also took two things he took he took truth in one hand he took he took lie in another hand he took truth in one hand he took lie in one hand he fused it what happened when the positive and the negative of electricity is touched what happens short circuit darkness that's what adam did that's what he did he took truth in one hand he took lie in another hand he fused it there was an explosion and man became a sinner and there was a darkness god also takes two things he takes his christ his son he takes you and me and he fuses it there is also an explosion but this time it is not darkness it is light in my heart by the face of the lord jesus christ beautiful my dear brothers and sisters what a gospel we believe what a gospel we believe and this imputation the doctrine of imputation is so wonderful that i can't sometime understand its fathomness incomprehensible by our finite minds god how could you do that that before the foundation of the world you made this plan Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 to 10 God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit sitting and making that salvation plan in a package where God does the election Christ does the fulfillment and the Holy Spirit does inside time and space Galatians 4 4 inside time and space when the sinner believes by faith by the sealing of the Holy Spirit a sinner is turned into a saint saint and made to stand as a perfect son before the father amazing and that is why there is a practical application now this righteousness this doctrine of righteousness has a practical application when jesus christ was speaking the sermon on the mount he brings this this is interesting he brings this word there righteousness can we turn to matthew's gospel chapter 5 verse 20 now this is the practical dimension of this of this of this doctrine Matthew's gospel chapter 5 verse 20 and I stop here for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees oh this is this is this is really powerful you will by no means enter the kingdom of god kingdom of heaven unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of pharisees and sadducees what is that what was their righteousness the outward dimension the outward expression the outward flamboyant show business 
of tradition of religiosity. That was the righteousness of Pharisees and Sadducees. Christ having spoken the Sermon on the Mount. And if you ask me, can you brother please give one word for Sermon on the Mount? If you ask me, what is that one word for the whole Sermon on the Mount? It is the inward righteousness of a saint. And that's what Christ is speaking here. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not be by means enter the kingdom of God. This evening, God is calling for that standard, the practical righteousness in our life. In all the dimensions and areas of our life, right from our thought life to our family life, our assembly life, our personal life, the righteousness of Pharisees and Sadhguis has to exceed. It is not my religiosity and my tradition that God is interested. It is here that he looks. It is here. Have I exceeded that righteousness? Wherein God is interested in my inner man. For which he gave his blood. He gave his life. He gave his everything. To make me in the image of his only begotten son. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. That is God's ultimate objective of saving you and me. It is not to make me, take me from hell to heaven only. Gospel is not escapism from hell to heaven. Gospel is transformation. I preach like this. Gospel does not repair a sinner into a saint. No, gospel does not do repair work. Gospel does transformation. And that transformation is the righteous standing before God the Father. And in my practical life, the righteousness that needs to practice where I become more like Jesus, more about my Jesus. I need more of him, more of him, nearer to him in his image that I need to draw in my thought life, in my, in my, in my family life, in my personal life, in my assembly life. And this is a warning that Christ is giving us. Has our righteousness exceeded the righteousness of Pharisees in such a case? That is a, that is a powerful question. And this evening as we go back home, Let's trust the character of God. He's worthy to be trusted. The just shall live by his faith. And it is his character that will take us through. It is his character that will take us through sickness and poverty and pain. Nothing else. The just shall live by his faith. Thank you.